Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is from Glennon Doyle's Untamed. I burned the memo that defined selflessness as the pinnacle of womanhood. But first, I forgave myself for believing that lie for so long. I had abandoned myself out of love. They'd convinced me, those memos, they'd convinced me that the best way for a woman to love her partner, family, and community was to lose herself in service to them. In my desire to be of service, I did myself and the world a great disservice. I've seen what happens out in the world and inside our relationships when women stay numb, obedient, quiet, and small. Selfless women make for an efficient society, but not a beautiful, true, or just one. Welcome to the podcast that's all about the voice, which means it's all about power. Who has it, how we get it, how we sound when we have it. I'm your host, Samara Bay, and this is Permission to Speak, where we can throw all our best ideas about how to get ourselves heard into the pot and stir. Today's guest is Amy Landon. She is a dear friend of mine, and she's also an acclaimed audiobook narrator in super high demand. She's uh, narrated, among other things, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, which I mentioned last week, Ted Chang's Exhilaration, Verity by Colleen Hoover, and a huge amount of well-loved fantasy series as well as erotica. I wanted to have Amy on because as an audiobook narrator and a voice actor, she thinks all day, every day about the voice as an instrument, how to get across story and character and tone and point of view when all you have is the voice. And I love our chat about what it means to sound sexy, which, I mean, she's got a surprising take on. And also the practical side of taking care of our voices, which is my way of saying she's got all the goods on the -the over-the-counter cure-alls when you've woken up with a sore throat and, you know, the show must go on. We also talk about that comment 
from her past, from many of our pasts, about our voice that we wish hadn't stuck with us, and yet it did, and really affected our relationship with our voice. And also, um, what it is to not necessarily fall in love with the sound of your own voice, but maybe fall in like with it. Anyway, this is Amy Landon. How do you find your books? How did the how does the book find the perfect narrator for it? Ooh, well, there's a couple of different ways. At this point in my career, usually publishers just match me up. That's right. Because they know my voice. Mm -hmm. And so most big publishers have producers that kind of do the whole kit and caboodle of they cast it. They decide who they want, who their perfect voice is. They get it all lined up, and they take you through the whole. And how do they de- like? How end. do they describe those voices? Like, do you end up seeing like an actual breakdown? That's like we want a voice that is low and calm, or like how do they? No, that's all on their end. I have no idea. They just see whatever the the descriptions are, and they think Amy Landon. They read the book, and then they go. Okay, what do I hear? What do I hear in my head? Who's mm. whose voice? You know, and you're usually matching to your lead character, obviously. So, right. so you're matching gender and age and that kind of thing generally to the lead character of the book if it's fiction. And if it's nonfiction, you're often matching to the author. Oh. Mm. Yes. Not to the desired audience, but maybe it's related. Related, but usually if a guy writes a nonfiction book, a guy narrates, if a wo- generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking. And why do people pick you, do you think? Because I'm amazing. I mean, obviously, but you know, obviously. what do you what do you think you're known for? Maybe it's an impossible question. <laughs> Solid question. Um, I do a lot of thriller, mystery, horror kind of stuff. I would. I don't know if that's just because I have a dark, dark soul, or because <laughs> I have a dark, dark voice. Could go either way. <laughs> do you feel like when when it's that genre, um, you infuse in an element of drama to it, or do you think that you're uh, even about it and it's not really, you know, that it's that you like the content, not that you ah. like m- manipulate the... I think it depends on every single book. So when I prep the book, when I read the book, the whole point is you're trying to find the author's rhythm, the mm. author's voice, the author's, how they would do it. And some authors are very like standing outside the story. It's very third person. It's mm-hmm. like this happened and then this happened and then this happened and all the drama is happening in the dialogue. And some authors, everything is very like heightened and it and it, it doesn't matter. Genre, genre by genre, every book is different. So this is partly why I wanted to have you in because, you know, when we're talking about audiobook narrating, obviously what we're talking about is spending time in a booth and making your voice breathe life into something that you didn't write. But inherent in that is the element of like, how does language work? How do you personally like put your feelers into a text and say, ah, this is the rhythm or this is the spirit of how this person writes? And it probably doesn't happen on an intellectual level. But what does your prep look like? Do you read it and do you think, oh, this makes me think of this other thing? Or does it feel like music or does it feel like, like, what's, what is that? I, I am an experiential trial and error kind of girl. Mm-hmm. So I usually do my prep. I read the book ahead of time so I know what the structure is, the shape, that kind of what's happening, who the main characters are. Do you take notes while you're doing that or you just like take it in? It's usually just at this point kind of sucked into my brain unless it's, you know, there's a bunch of pronunciation things and then I've got notes and everything going on, <laughs> on the side. <laughs> yes. uh, nonfiction. You're like, I don't know, that god from second century BC, Sumeria. No idea how to say that. Um, and then I usually just get in and I, I will do the first chapter until I've found the rhythm. 
and do it meaning over, over and over and over, and over, oh. and over until I found the rhythm. And some books you're just like, oh, great, this author they they write like I talk. I can do this falling off a log. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's not how you talk. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely how I talk all the time, guys. Um, and then some authors I really like. It is a battle, and I'm just like, I don't know. And I'm, I'll get stuck on sentences and I'll go back and I'll get stuck on sentences and I'll go back and I'll just do the first chapter until I'm finally like, okay, that's how this person talks. That's how this person writes. And some people you can tell do not write to have anything read aloud. And you're like, all right, here we go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's literally your problem to solve. The biggest challenge for audiobooks overall, it doesn't really matter what audiobook you're doing is it's it's the marathon of voice acting. So mm-hmm. most voice acting, you go in and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this commercial. It's two lines. It's three words, whatever it is. It has its own challenges, but it's super short pieces of text where you're doing video games and you're just doing a bunch of dialogue and then grunts and hits and blowing things up. And so if you have maybe not great like voice form, like you're not breathing or you're, you know, hurting aspects of your vocal apparatus, it doesn't really bite you. Because it's so short. Right. You can go blow your voice out for one day of video games and you're fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing audiobooks, it's a marathon. You're doing usually six to eight hours a day in a booth (sighs) talking into a microphone. And if you're doing it full time, you're doing that five days a week. And how does the eighth hour feel? It's usually pretty brutal. Vocally, you're tired and you can just hear it. But the harder part is actually the mental So that's where finding the language and the rhythm is by hour six, especially with complex sentence structure, your brain is tired and staying engaged becomes some of the bigger challenge sometimes when you're that tired and you have to kind of, I'll stop and just go back and I'm like, all right, why is this important? Right. Okay. What does this mean again? Okay. Wait, you just read an entire paragraph and you have no idea what you said. Go back to the top and do it again because you're getting tired and your brain shuts down. And on a really, really technical level, like what we're talking about in certain ways is actually like what word you lift to make sense of a thought, which obviously is a lot of the stuff that I do, especially when I'm working with English as a second language actors. You know, what word gets lifted if you're comparing two things, for example, um, matters to um, English ears if we're going to actually understand sometimes a complex thought, sometimes a relatively simple one. I mean, even if we're just saying like, you know, are you going to leave now or are you going to leave later? But if now and later are not being held in opposition with each other in this thing that people call antithesis, if you you have a Shakespeare background, then, you know, I mean, if you say, are you going to leave now or are you going to leave later? People don't understand why they don't understand it. And then add into that that it's not TV and film. I can't see their face. I have no context visually. They can't see your face, you mean. Right. Or yes, they can't see my face. Either way. You can't see a face. There's no face. There's a disembodied voice coming through your earbuds or coming over your car radio. And so that is the only way to make sense of what's going on is getting that language right. And unlike working on a script, like a theater person where you usually have worked on this script for months and you have gone through and every, I've I've got a 400 page book and going through and marking up every single sentence is just not practical. Right. So you really are, it is about staying on top of it and saying, wait, did that make sense to me? Okay. Or having a director who's on the outside, they're listening like, like our lovely producers here mm-hmm. are. Those guys. And they would be out there and they would just stop me and be like, um, you're going to have to, I, no, I didn't understand what you but just some, said. Can we go some back? Some major Can we go percentage back? of the work you do, you do not have a director around. You're doing this alone in your own and you're yeah. producing and directing your own. Yeah. So you're wearing all the hats at once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's a fun fact about today's guest. 
everything you've talked about thus far is probably relevant to what I'm about to say, but you <laughs> secretly, relatively secretly, also do erotica. Oh, yes. Relatively secretly. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about sexy voice. What does that mean to you? I think that's such a fun thing to ask about because I think most women, when you when they see the word sexy, have a very distinctive idea of what that is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's often wrong. <laughs> wrong meaning it doesn't actually make other people uh, turned on? Yeah. I think that we have preconceived notions of this like sexy voice thing. Mm -hmm. I taught a workshop at an undergrad school over, for voiceover recently, and I deliberately picked a commercial audition copy for the girls that al like almost every commercial audition, it's going to be like, here's the breakdown. We need 20s to 30s, blah, 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 straightforward read. And somewhere in there, at least for women, it almost always says sexy. <laughs> and that means that almost every woman is going to come in and get on the mic and be like, I really like this Big Mac oh my God, this Big Mac. And I'm going to get like down here and I get a little husky. And every single person, mm -hmm. that is their like sexy voice. Mm -hmm. And it almost never works because it's almost always put on. You're almost trying too hard unless you have a voice that is naturally kind of husky and low, which mine is. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but unless that's how you really sound, you sound like you're pushing. You sound like you're trying. And then it's not sexy. It just sounds like you're a cartoon character. And it sounds kind of awful. And so what I was trying to teach these people is that what's actually sexy is your natural voice coming through, you having fun. Fun is sexy. Confidence is sexy. It's less about a timbre and a certain idea of sexy, and it's more just actually sounding confident on the mic, having fun with the text, putting a little bit of a wink and like a laugh in it, and literally smiling while you're talking really helps. And for erotica audiobooks, it's the same thing. Sexy is actually... Like you're in on the joke or you're yeah. in on the secret. And if you're funny, that's that's so much sexier. And even like in the sex scenes, it's not about like, I'm going to get all sexy time now. It's about being engaged and being confident and telling the story and engaging with the idea of falling in love with someone. This seems like a metaphor for literally the female experience that we think there's a box that we should be fitting into. And there are signs that that's right. But if we all try to fit into that same box, we all become so generic that our, you know, we leave ourselves at the door and we can't actually, you know, become self-actualized humans until we figure out what makes us happy. Yeah. And what makes you unique and lean into that vocally. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if I can talk about everything else, but vocally. Mm -hmm. You can, by the way. What makes someone sexy on the mic is them sounding like them. It's the weird, like quirky people that you hear in commercials. You're like, oh, that's a weird voice. I really want to meet that person. So, okay. But I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this because yeah. I also, I think that rings so true, right? And we all understand that, you know, we're living in a world where authentic is king or queen. I mean, we all hate that word because it's overused. Now. It's yeah. overused, but it does mean what you're talking about, that we find within ourselves something that feels real, not something outside of ourselves that we're trying to play at. Right. A, and then B, but we all have a range of us-ness. So, you know, one could mistake this for like, well, then I should just come in. Whatever voice comes out of my mouth is the only one I have, and I shouldn't try to sort of find range. But you work on so many different projects from, you know, erotica to white fragility, an extremely serious book about social justice, that you obviously do have various voices that are all equally authentically you but that you bring out different aspects of yourself for different projects. Does that feel right? It does, 
but I rarely am thinking about it technically. Mm. And it really is more about what is the story? What is the point I'm trying to make? If I'm narrating white fragility, I'm not thinking like, oh, I have to make sure that I sound like this when I'm talking about serious I have to sound things. Sexy. Right? <laughs> or I have to sound very strong. I'm just like, okay, I'm talking about this thing and I have to make this thought clear. And mm. so I'm probably going to slow it down and really think about it. But that's because I'm dealing with complex language and it's not about me technically choosing. So the choices that we make about how to sound in a moment, what tools from within us we bring, are should not be arbitrarily made. They should be made based exclusively on the actual content that we're working on. Yeah. And if you're really connected to the content, I would say nine times out of 10 that that Whatever itself. comes out of your mouth is what should be coming out of your mouth. Right. If you're really connected. And there's and there's a there's an analogy here for anybody who's thinking, I don't know how I sound because I sound different in different situations. I mean, code switching is real. And I talked about it in in last week's episode. But all of us, all humans, have some aspect of changing the way we sound based on the environment that we're in. And so to think of that not as like, oh God, I'm so inconsistent with myself but really just that we're bringing the authentic version of ourselves to the moment at hand. And that actually sounds like what you're doing professionally. Yes, if I'm doing it right. And when it feels icky, you do the chapter again, then you do the chapter <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, you do the chapter again, again. And, you, and you just go do it until you get it right. I asked until my husband for uh, if he had any questions for you, and what he asked was um, something like, um, do you make big decisions about what characters, what a character's voice is, and then you end up being like super wrong, and you realize like way too late in? Yes. <laughs> and it's awful. <laughs> it usually happens when you're doing book series, because the first book series, you're like, oh, these are my leads, it's going to be great. And like Joe Schmo, number three, who has two lines, who you're like, I'm going to make him like a dude and he's going to what, right? Because he's got two lines. He's the lead in the next book and no one told you that. And you're like, oh, man. So what do you do? So what do you do? What have you done? You you slightly adjust him. You make him sound a little less bro-y and you pitch him up a bit. But you're like, I'm, I'm going to lean toward that. And then I'm also going to make him listenable. You do but do accents. I do. And I've also had, like I, I recently did this. I have this lovely author who writes a million characters in these fantasy series, and she'll just give me general notes of like, oh, she's like a sexy, strong woman. She'll be great. And I'm like, great. And I made her Brit. And then book three, she's like, she's from Florida. And I'm like... <laughs> Wait, but you made her British? Well, yeah, because it's set in Scotland, and there's wizards, and there's like, oh, you know, sure. so okay. there's like people from all over the world. So you just have to make choices. It's not like in a book. I mean, obviously, it's not like all of us in a book reading where we're like, oh, some sort of general sense yeah. of foreign. Yeah. So I made her Brit. And I was like, oh, oh she's from... Florida. So I just hit the author up. I'm like, all right, so here's your choices. I can make her American in this book and we can just pretend she wasn't there in the first book or you can change where she's from. What do you want to do? She's like, just make her American. I was like, all right, it's your call. And in real life, even if we're not doing an accent, right? If I'm in a really emotional moment of my life, mm -hmm. weird sounds come out of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you say words in ways that you would never say them normally because mm -hmm. you're your heart and your brain, and there's you're just a mess, and shit just comes out, and mm -hmm. you don't you don't always sound like yourself, and all of a sudden you have this devil voice that comes out of you <laughs> because you're so angry, or you get really hyped, like all, all of a sudden I'm like high pitched in ways that I never am, and I mean this is also shift, so. like part of what's gorgeous about how human communication works. We think about words as being this, these discrete you know, units of meaning and we pull the right one out at the right time and we throw it to people. And then if the right one doesn't come out, we feel really bad about ourselves because we were inarticulate at that moment. 
But I'm a huge fan of like the human experience is we're having all this stuff going on on the inside. We're trying to make connections with human beings outside of us. And all we have are like whatever word comes out at the moment based on all of the stimulus that's like moving around in our body. And all we can do is just have like grace around that. And we use words. We humans use words in weird ways. I mean, sounds uh, can shift. And the way that we'll say, you know, I'm not sounds different in eight different scenarios, 800 different scenarios, which obviously comes up when I'm working with, um, you know, actors who are trying to be perfect and get it right. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, right can mean so many different things. And we're inconsistent. Isn't it beautiful? I say either. I say either. I say, I don't know. Words just come out. I'm inconsistent with how I pronounce words in my daily life. So why would I not be inconsistent in an accent? Hmm. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We're back with Amy. So um, how is work being affected right now? Well, it's uh, it's interesting. I've been talking to the narrator community a lot because we weirdly have been weathering this whole coronavirus thing fairly well for most mm-hmm. of us because we already had home studios. Um, there are a few who didn't who've had to really makeshift home studios. It's pretty impressive. I've seen pictures of narrators who've built a studio in their parents' car in their garage and they have a full setup in the backseat of a car and they're spending six to eight hours a day in the backseat of a car. Home I mean, <laughs> I did some, I, I won't lie. I did some pickups in the, in my car and then Kat was in hers, uh, for yeah. our, our last week's episode. We feel, we were all joking. We're like, Oh, we've been training for, we've been training for lockdown for years. We narrators, right? We work from home anyway. We have a full setup. We're kind of an isolated industry and all the people doing post tend to work from home. So a lot of it hasn't changed. And I was talking to a fellow narrator and he's like, you know what it's like? It's like we're fish in a fish tank just watching while the house is getting robbed. And I was like, oh my God, that's perfect. Because mm-hmm. our life hasn't changed. We're just like doing our little thing and everything's fine. And meanwhile, you look out the glass and you're just like, oh, the world is exploding. 
And so you it's a weird disconnect of my life is sort of fine and very little has changed work-wise, but you're looking out at the world that is completely different happening around you. You're watching the house getting robbed as you're just like floating around doing your thing. Yeah, well, and also people seem to want books now. Yes, audiobook sales are going up. People are it's sitting amazing. at home. I mean, obviously, there's a lack cleaning of, and... of commuting for many people. Uh, I think I think uh, podcasts maybe are going down, but I don't know how much. Um, obviously, just because there's a lack of of like, you know, I'm bored on my drive and I need something to listen to, and yet, you know, obviously, people have uh, some time, especially people without children. <laughs> it must be nice, uh, and and are you know looking for an escape or for something that feels like it's a it's a heightened version of storytelling that isn't just like the news every day. Yeah, and I think we're all getting tired of watching too much TV, watching too much, you know, binging Netflix and or watching the news. And so long form narration is, it's actually sales are up. It's doing well. Amy, this was really like um, the promise of the premise. Like what a long con. We've been we've been prepping for this for years, guys. <laughs> That's also funny because I feel like you're, you come from like a prepper family. <laughs> it's like a whole different kind of prepping. Oh, yeah. No, my parents have like a year's supply of food in the basement. I was like, oh, you guys were ready for this. You guys, <laughs> you've, been, you've been waiting your whole life. Did you <laughs> plan this? Oh, my God. Amy. Yeah. Bill Gates and I, we've had, a, we've had a plan the whole time. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I'm really glad that, um, you know, I didn't think of this podcast as being like hard-hitting journalism where I was really going to uncover the truth about coronavirus. And yet here we are. And yet here we are. It's my master plan, guys. It's my master plan. It's working wonders. <laughs> Just kidding. That's truly depressing. Oh, <laughs> hashtag too soon. Yeah. Okay. Actually, speaking of your upbringing, how did how you grew up inform how you think about your voice? Ooh, fun. Fun question. I have a couple of different weird things. I grew up Mormon. It's very exciting. Grew up in a very uh, religious community with traditional patriarchy sort of order. Very, yeah. very traditional gender roles. Yeah. Um, in the entire community, small town. And I remember very distinctly when I was four or five, I was at church and I was singing. We were singing little, you know, church hymns or whatever for kids. And I was belting it out. I was having a blast, whatever, <laughs> having a good time. And this little boy in front of me turned around and he looked at me and he just said, you sing like a boy. And I shut down, just completely shut down and stopped singing for years. I was so uncomfortable with it. And... By the time I decided I wanted to sing again, I think I'd like completely messed up my own brain about it. And I've never really been a singer since, even though I paid for <sighs> lessons. I really wanted to sing. I really wanted to be that. And I think that moment in a deeply shaming way for a little tiny kid, like mm -hmm. got in my brain yeah. about what I was supposed to sound like. Do you think it was about the... Um the actual tone of the voice, or do you think is about taking up space? I think both. I, th I grew up in a world where obviously you're supposed to be, especially girls, quiet, mm -hmm. and I'm not a quiet person. I read educated. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It's a little bit like what I grew I mean, my, my family was not quite that intense, but yeah. certainly that's the community. Mm. And uh, I am not by nature a quiet person. I've definitely been the girl in the theater who people turn around and look at me because I'm laughing too loudly. It's upsetting for them. And I'm like, look, it's funny. It's funny. I call myself a laugh leader. Right? I like, I'm helping. I don't know. I thought it was funny, guys. 
Um, I think I was singing loudly and I think I have a naturally alto voice. So mm-hmm. I think it was a combination of like, I, I didn't sound feminine to this little boy. I didn't sound like a little girl because I was not up high and I was loud and I was having a good time. And I think both of those things were not acceptable for him. So how did you, I mean, then you ended up using your voice for your life, for your livelihood. Have you thought about like how that got reconciled or or how you embraced whatever that thing was that that boy was, you know, felt was transgressive? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have. I don't know if it's fully been reconciled. I still like, I'm mad that I'm not a singer. I'm still, I'm still like heartbroken about that little part of me that got shut down years ago and got like put in under, under a shelf somewhere. But I clearly don't have a high voice. And now I just talk like this all the time. And I'm much better about being loud and taking up space in phone calls and in public arenas. And I just have stopped caring so much. <laughs> and I own it now. But I don't know if, I don't know. I remember that moment. I'm I can so tell. Yeah. young. And it really messed me up. I have no idea who that little boy is. Thanks, dude. Thanks for hurting my child brain. Should we name him? If only I knew who he what was. What was his name? Let's let's make it up. What's a good Mormon name? <laughs> Hiram. Oh God! It's <laughs> a good Mormon name. Wow! <laughs> wow! This is, this is not the culture I grew up in. <laughs> it was not on the top of, not on the tip of my tongue. No, yeah, it's, like, it's a good Mormon name. All right. Well, yeah. Hiram. Thanks, Hiram. <sighs> I mean, seriously, a lot of us have Hirams in our life. Yeah, I think a lot of girls have been told to. And obviously, that was part of Shut it a down. larger you know, story that you were being indoctrinated into probably around that age in terms of how girls are supposed to be. Yeah. This also makes me think of when you went back relatively recently and taught college kids, did a workshop, what was coming up for them in terms of the voice stuff? We talked about sexy voice and sort of misunderstandings about how to, you know, fit ourselves into a box that other people have for us. But what really resonated for them? What were they thinking about, boys and girls, in terms of their, you know— I Natural think it was, voice. Um, what was really freeing for a lot of them is these were all theater students, so they're all doing plays. Yeah. And they're all in, you know, classes with their voice teacher who is wonderful and she's great. But the whole, you know, they're all learning how to like support themselves and get to the back of the room and play all these certain parts in plays. And I was like, voiceover is really, really more about sounding like yourself. Yes, having range within that, but it's okay to sound like you. So it was fun to do that. It was interesting to see what people felt like they had permission to do when I was like, oh, you sound you sound like an 18-year-old gay guy. Let's find the right role for you. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to sound like you're a 25-year-old buff soldier. I don't care. <laughs> do you think that's also actually true in terms of having the range to get paid? Yeah, actually. I think the way the business is moving for on-camera too, mm. it's actually more about you figuring out what you do really well and doing that really well. And I think, yes, there is range within that, but I think we are maybe getting away from doing the disservice of telling actors that they all can do everything. And they all have to. And they all have to. I think casting and, and voices are changing in in the, the voiceover world, in video games and in animation. We're seeing a lot of that. And we are starting to see it more in TV and film, and hopefully we'll lean more into that when we all get back to on-camera work, which hasn't happened for a while. (laughs) But it will. It will again. And I think that we're starting to see different faces and hear different voices. And that is just, it's going to change the world. It's actually going to change the world. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about some very specific advice 
you are my person I go to for a number of things, but one of them is over-the-counter medicine cocktails <laughs> that solve body ailments. <laughs> that sounds so... <laughs> You're my pusher. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, Just pick up some cocaine, everyone. I was very clear to say over-the-counter. I mean, unless you cocaine from the old drugstore. The old drugstore. Um, so, like, as somebody who relies on their voice, obviously, on a daily basis and for money, what do you do if you wake up and your voice feels off? Oh, there's so many different things. I'm a big fan of throat coat tea, which I know tastes disgusting, but it does amazing <laughs> things, everyone. Lost that sponsorship. <laughs> uh, if you just have to, like, get the vocal cords moving— if you're dealing with post-nasal drip and or uh, any kind of congestion, which yeah. will just, like, post-nasal drip is like the enemy, the massive enemy on vocal cords. I think it's actually the one thing that people are like, I don't know why my voice sounds on. I'm like, it's post-nasal drip. Does that in this context really just mean like it's left your nose, the mucusy stuff has left your nose and is now dripping down? And that's correct. It usually happens the most when you're sleeping. Ooh. But uh, so you Elevate. often will wake up in the morning and you're like, why is everything? And it's going to take me two hours to talk. And I'm like, yeah, because you got to clear your cords out. Um, Do you try to sleep elevated? And you're like, uh, no, I can't, I can't no, sleep sitting up. <laughs> that is never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I do try to give myself time to warm up and talk in the morning before I get in front of a mic for that very reason. But if it's happening because you have a cold or allergies throughout the day, it will also keep keep happening and destroy you. So I think if you're going herbal, you go get this stuff called quercetin, everyone. It's like nature's version of mucinix, kind of. How do you spell it? Quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-I-T-E-N, I believe. Mm. Um, I pick it up at a Whole Foods, but you can probably find it any herbally place. Mm -hmm. And you pop a couple of those and it will help clear you out. And if you're doing the, I don't care if it's herbal, Advil cold and sinus will like get me through anything. And how many? Anything. Don't you don't you take like four or something crazy like that? I'll usually take two if I really have to clear out and then I'll take one every four hours after that or something. Okay, um, great. Great. Yeah, but it really is like my miracle drug. Advil cold and sinus, guys. So good. Mm -hmm. And do you sleep with a humidifier and I mean like do you know a, do a neti pot through your nose? Tell me all the things. I hate neti pots. I hate them with a burning passion. I have tried and I'm terrible at them. Uh, but I do have a personal steamer. Mm -hmm. So the little, like you put your face in it and it mm -hmm. just steams your cords and gets you moving if you're really dried out. My old trick from the opera singers is hot pineapple juice. Ooh, hot. You, yep. You heat it up like you would tea and you sip pineapple juice. That is a opera singer standby. They love it. Great. What does it feel like to listen back to your own voice? It's something you do so regularly. A lot of people hate listening to their voice. How do you solve that? You just make yourself do it. You just you just do. Do you hate listening to your own voice or have you moved to a really different relationship with your voice? I think I've mostly moved beyond that, but every once in a while, I'll still hear something and I'm like, oh, oh really? <laughs> That's what I sound like? <laughs> Man. Do you think of those moments or when you sound the most like yourself or the least like yourself? Solid question. Probably oh. probably the most like myself. It's <laughs> usually like some video that someone made on an iPhone camera and I'm like, oh, wow, that's brutal. <laughs> I sound terrible. I mean, Hiram would have an opinion. But I do think you, if you can force yourself to listen to yourself objectively, if you mm -hmm. can just let it go that you're like listening to me and I'm just listening to an audiobook narrator, or I'm listening to a politician, and you take yourself out of the equation, and what you're listening for is, is it effective? Is it effective? That's all I'm listening for. I'm 
like listening for sense. Does it make sense? And is the thing that I'm hearing like, can I follow the thought? Right. That's what I'm listening for. And then I'm like, oh, is it fun and engaging? Great. I'm going to do a listen for that. I'm going right. to do a listen for, I think it's awful the first <laughs> couple of times you do it. And then if you really can like separate yourself, you just go, oh, okay, I'm just going to listen to this politician or this narrator or you this know whatever. What this, this reminds me of is I actually came across a uh, study where if somebody listens within a, you know, within the context of a study where they're like listening in a booth and somebody's, you know, giving them earphones, if they hear a bunch of snippets of people's voices and their own voice is thrown into that mix and they're asked to, you know, judge in some sort of quantitative way which voice they like best, people like their own voice best when they don't know it's their voice. I'm going to link to that study. I was like blown away because obviously our instinct is that's not possible. Yeah. It also feels like it's not possible to not recognize our own voice. Right, doesn't it? But they must have set up some, I don't know, I'll go back to the study and see. Fascinating because most people do. They say they hate. To me, that also, if we believe it, if we just decide to believe it for a second, it should give us a sense of permission that our voice is actually great and we, with our judgment, like it. Yeah. There's a subset this is making me think of, and I'm just getting speculative, but there's an aspect of hearing our own voice that isn't actually just about the tone of our voice, and boy, does it sound different than it does on the inside, because that's, of course, what's what's really happening there. But also, when we hear ourselves back, we may be hearing some of the ways in which we undermine ourselves, whether it's up speaker, vocal fry, or whatever, that in the moment, you really did seem like that is the mode that we're in. It's who we're talking to, it's how we're going to get what we want, and then we hear it back, and we realize... Hmm, I maybe miscalculated or I maybe just have some bad habits. So it can be a moment of reckoning if we listen back to our voice. And that's how you learn, right? That's how you also learn from your, that's why you listen to yourself is to get better. Mm. I don't know. I have have an interesting moment when I listen to my siblings. I don't know Mm. if you don't have siblings, so you don't get to have this moment. But if you have siblings, I think it's fun to listen to them objectively because then I have moments of like, do I do that? Yep. Because all of my siblings, but the girls in particular, my sisters in particular, do these things that I'm like, your insecurity is in your vocality. Mm. And it comes out in these like weird twists, vowels, or the way that they phrase. And it makes me really aware of what I do and, and how that, I just think it's interesting. Listen to your family. I mean, I like to say that our voice reflects our life experience. So obviously, when we look at our siblings, it's a fantastic way to take out some of the variables and be like, these people had a similar life experience to me up to a point. But then, of course, there's huge variations that happen once we leave home, leave home and, yeah. and, you know, have different ambitions than them and have different, you know, people that we date and have different places we live and have different educations and, you know, yeah, watch voice different classes. things and have different <laughs> pro- proclivities. And yeah. yeah, and sometimes get accents beaten out of us. Yeah. Humans. Humans. Okay. How do you think about breath when you're working and when you're not working? Ooh, big question for me. So I had um, nodules, mm. vocal nodules when I was living in New York for a while. It was a combination of doing theater whilst bartending, whilst not sleeping enough. Um, because I was speaking over music and loud people at a bar and then going mm-hmm. and doing plays. and then, Hashtag 20s. Woo, 20s in New York. So I had nodules and I went to this uh, voice teacher, a wonderful voice teacher at NYU, to try to figure out how to get rid of them because this ENT that I saw, he was like, oh, well, I mean, they should what, probably have to do surgery and you're probably going to. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, man, yeah. Really? I don't want to start there. So I went to this voice teacher and he sat and just talked to me for the first 15 minutes about my life, like, we're just going to talk. 
And at the end of 15 minutes, he looked at me and said, well, I know why you have nodules and we can fix it. And I said, okay, great. Why? And he said, your breath. And I was like, I have nodules because of my breath? And he's like, yeah, here's the thing. I've, I just listened to everything you told me. You're the fourth of five children, which means you probably learned at the dinner table that the only way to be heard, someone's talking along, you want to say something, you jump in immediately. And like, that's how you get a statement out. So mm-hmm. you, he's like, you, you have a tendency to interrupt, which is something I've worked on personally, having <laughs> learned that from him. So you have a tendency to interrupt because that's what you learned. And what you're also doing is you're never taking a full breath before you speak because you hear a moment, you do a catch breath, you jump out and you go and you're grinding your vocal cords because you don't have enough breath. So he's like, you have to relearn to breathe. So I spent a bunch of time with him learning to take full breath before a thought and to do that in my regular life. And it was like the worst six months of my life. <laughs> It was awful. I was crying all the time. I was a mess because it was so much about how I just literally functioned and had since I was this big. And I had to retrain my entire thought process and body process. And I did get rid of my nodules. It did fix it. It 100% fixed it, but it was so much of my own psychology was wrapped up in it. How I interacted with people, I had to really learn not to interrupt really learn to take a full deep breath before I started talking. So that like on a personal level, breath is incredibly important to me. Incredibly important. And then when I'm working on a mic, it's a weird thing. There's a lot of people who don't love hearing breaths in audiobooks. Mm. So sometimes they'll cut them out. I hate mm-hmm. that. I think it makes it sound like you're listening to a robot. Mm-hmm. I like hearing breaths, but you also don't want to overhear it, right? Yeah. So I don't want to be blah 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 blah. <gasps> right. blah, blah, blah. I think of breath in that context or when you hear, um, you know, a public speaker, a politician, something. I think of breath as somebody who coaches people in those moments as another unit of communication. Yeah. And so if you're taking a breath that feels very overdramatic and unnecessary, then that is telling a story, which is I'm about to be very dramatic and unnecessary, right? But if you're taking the breath that goes along with the thought or if you're actually taking a breath because you're literally breathing in and out and it's an entire cycle of breath because the moment is large and there are no words, that is an important thing for listeners to hear. It says as much as the words would have, if not more. And taking the time to breathe. I've also had to learn that like, right, because sometimes it's it's loud because we're trying to go so fast. And there are moments when I'm narrating where I'm like, this, we're going to get through this. It's an action sequence and it has to be slow enough the listener can follow it, but mm. you are keeping the energy up. Mm. And some of the breaths are going to happen a little more audibly and it's okay because it feels like it's mm. part of the rhythm. Mm-hmm. But then there are times where you're like, da 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 I'm going to take a full breath. Mm-hmm. And what it also does is it lets listeners go, oh, I can breathe with you, mm. and now we'll go into this new thought. Yeah, because listeners breathe along with you. You're also telling them when to take a breath. And I when- mean, I made a joke early on about ASMR, but like my understanding of the whole, you know, trend is that it's a way of acknowledging that when we are listening to people's voices, it has a direct effect on our nervous system, which is what you have the power to do when you are in people's ears telling a story. Okay, we're going to find out whose voice you brought in for us to listen to after this. Do 
you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, we're back with Amy, and uh, who have you brought in for us? I have brought in uh, a childhood hero slash obsession, Jane Goodall. Yay! So it's it was really fun to go back and listen to her as an adult and sort of put into context what I loved about her as a kid, now as an adult, and where her voice fits into that spectrum. Do you have an answer to that? Well, as a kid, I mean, I was I was obsessed with I really wanted to be Indiana Jones, right? But he's a guy and he was an archaeologist. Like, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be this archaeologist running around the world doing all these crazy things. And Jane Goodall was the closest real person I could find to that who was a woman. And she was off in Africa and she was this well-respected scientist who ended up, I mean, she is, I think, the kind of the premier expert on chimpanzees in the world. And she built this whole life for herself in a very adventurous way. And I think what I also love about her is that she's done it in such a way that feels so, for lack of a better word, feminine. Mm -hmm. Like all of her work is about empathy and understanding and connection. And so it's science that is, it's definitely science that's research-based, but it always felt like it was, she saw the bigger picture, she saw macro, she works from a place of empathy. And she's this scientific expert, but she's also like the warmest, softest spoken. She's a really interesting mix of what I think we think of contradictory things, hmm. personally. Oh, that brought tears to my eyes. So yeah, yeah. And it actually ties in pretty well to the little bit I picked for us to listen to. This is from her TED Talk in 2002, which feels like, you know, <laughs> half my life ago. <laughs> and yet what she's talking about is pretty relevant, unfortunately. Uh, so let's dive in. Yes, there is hope. And where is the hope? Is it out there with the politicians? It's in our hands. It's in your hands and my hands and those of our children. It's really up to us. We're the ones who can make a difference. If we lead lives where we consciously leave the lightest possible ecological footprints, if we buy the things that are ethical for us to buy and don't buy the things that are not, we can change the world overnight. 
Thank you. 18 years ago and so relevant today. And something that we have epically failed to do. Amazing. I mean, I, I did happen upon an article um, quoting her from like two days ago that literally said coronavirus is, you know, our fault and here's why. Uh, having to do with, you know, just erosion of, of the um, distinction between the environment and our own lives and the erosion of the environment, period. Um, I'll link to it because everybody needs to read it. But yeah, yeah. So first of all, she's very British. She is. She's very British. She's she feels very proper in the way that and she yet, speaks. And yet, there's a there's a bit of a relaxation that suggests she's not trying to put on. Um, you know, there uh, something I love about her, and you can certainly see it just by looking at her in this in this uh, TED talk. Also, is she's just not interested in being glamorous. Like you just so get that she's lived among chimpanzees, and what works for them works for her. You know, <laughs> you can tell there's um. There's a degree of careful, I think, about how she talks. Like, she's really trying to be as clear as possible, which suggests a lifetime of trying to communicate. Yeah, she you know? spent her lifetime studying how to communicate. Right, right, right. And, and, and you know, across species is obviously, like, the, the most massive version of what we, what we are always talking about, which is, a, you know, trying to be understood by somebody who's not like us. And there's also a, an element of, of sort of complete lack of strain in her voice. Like, she's just not pushing. She's saying exactly what she's come to say. She knows it's true. <laughs> it's speaking with authority, but without trying to sound like you're authoritative. Right. She just right. she just knows what she's saying is true. I think it's also interesting listening to that clip in particular. The Brits versus how Americans speak. I think Americans were always talking about upspeak at the end for women, mm -hmm. or we're talking about, I'm going to finish a thought, and so I go down. And Americans do this a lot. Blah, 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 blah. And the Brits are so good at keeping thoughts floating and they kind of land right in the middle. And I think she does that beautifully in that clip where she's going to, she speaks and she's talking along and she gets to the end of a thought and it's the end of a thought, but it doesn't really like end of a thought or end of a thought. It's like mm -hmm. she just drives all the way through in a really easy way. I, don't know, I, I do an exercise with clients sometimes along these lines because people do have habitual, you know, up or, or down at the end of thoughts stuff that they do for all kinds of reasons having to do with, you know, just habit or habit based on on um, social cues that like it's better to sort of lose power at the end of your thought in case somebody disagrees with you. You know, there's all kinds of like multi-level things going on there. But the the super simple sort of comical exercise that I've done with a lot of people is like throwing a fake ball in the air and trying to have your voice match what the curve of the ball is doing. So if you're throwing the ball from like low to high while just saying like, my name is Samara, just seeing if you can actually do like, my name is Samara. Just to see, like, does that feel normal? Maybe it does. For some people, it totally does, right? And then to do the dropping the ball thing and feeling what it feels like to have what, you know, what you're referencing, which is sort of this American concept of front-loading, where we put all of our energy into the front of the thought, and by the end, we're sort of like, mm, whatever. Oh. Uh, so th in that case, it would be like, my name is Samara, which often is connected with vocal fry, right? And then the hardest one is the third one, obviously the final option, which is to throw that ball till it actually hits the wall opposite you. Not harder than that but to actually hit the wall. And what does that sound like? My name is Samara. It feels scary. It feels weirdly scary, but it is something to, to practice. And, you know, it becomes obviously yeah. less scary. And it feels vulnerable at the same time, which I That's think is really interesting. That's right. Jane Goodall always sounds to me 
like someone who owns her vulnerability. She feels so open. She feels like she walks through the world just like heart open, mind open, empathy open. But she's, again, also a premier scientist and researcher, which is such an interesting thing that I don't think we often put together. And I think you hear it in her voice. I think you hear she's not afraid of being emotional. She's not afraid of expressing things emotionally in scientific hope. terms. Hope. Hope. Well. She's talking about, yeah. You know, hope is, uh, it's way cooler to be cynical. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm finding my own kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Instead of hating <laughs> humanity, after all of these years of researching, instead of being angry at humanity, she's still focusing on Ugh. hope and better. When I saw life. that article from just a few days ago, which is obviously almost 20 years after this thing, that we just listened to, and she's saying the same thing. I was like, oh my God, the amount of energy it takes to maintain that kind of hope. I mean, it's what a lot of us are trying to sort of navigate right now. But just to think about the decades and decades of it and saying, guys, we're the problem. We can do this overnight. Wait, okay, but how about tomorrow night? But okay, but we could still do tomorrow night. <laughs> 20 years yeah, later. Yeah, no, but really, but really, guys, <laughs> but really. <laughs> Thank you so much to Amy Landon for joining me. You can find out more about her in the show notes or on our website, permissiontospeakpod.com. Please also go to the site if you have any awesome quotes or any questions you want to submit for my next mailbag episode. What is getting in the way of your voice? I always want to know. Also, feel free to send DMs or voice memos to our Instagram at permissiontospeakpod where we are posting a bunch and join the community. Thanks as well to Sophie Lichterman and the team at iHeartRadio my family and cohort, and all of you. We're recording this podcast at various locations around Los Angeles on land that used to belong to the Tongva Indigenous Tribe. And you can visit usdac.us to learn more about honoring Native land. Permission to Speak is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Vision, executive produced by Catherine Burt Canton and Mark Canton. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.